Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the First and Foremost Sports Podcast. I am the one and only Quentin Douglas. And I'm Jimmy Covington. What's good, y'all? Yes, sir. Dynamic duo. Back at it again. How you doing, bro? I'm doing good, bro. Just trying to heal heal my mouth from getting all four of my wisdom teeth took out less than a week ago. So I'm just letting y'all know now, if it sounds like something in my mouth, it's because my jaws are kind of swollen. So (laughs) bear with me here. Yeah, yeah. Definitely bear with them. But it's not giving you too much trouble, is it? No, it's cool. I'm learning to stay ahead of the pain, make sure I'm taking my meds, like, you know, on time because the pain will hit you. And (laughs) there ain't nothing you can do when the pain hits you but sit there and pray to God because it is rough. Sure, sure. I'm going to have to get mine pulled here soon, too, because they're coming in. So, I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, it got to be done, bro, but, you know, just depending on how bad, if they're not bad, then I think, I mean, mm-hmm. of course, you know, the pain not going to be as severe. But, you know. Facts, facts. Well, hey, let's not waste any more time, man. Let's get right to it. So, of course, this past week was the NFL's week six. So, Jimmy, what were your biggest takeaways from this past week? Uh, so, I'm pretty sure you already know one of them are. And first, I'm just going to kick it off. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys look simply pathetic. Uh, they got washed. 38 to 10 on Monday Night Football to the Arizona Cardinals. But let me just let me just give you a few numbers here. Kyler Murray went 9 of 24 passing and only had 188 passing yards. And they allowed 38 points. And, and they still was able to put up 38 points. And there's a reason why, of course. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, who's been, who hasn't had a 100-yard game this season, who's one of my favorite running backs, uh, he had two fumbles on back-to-back possessions that led to touchdowns for Arizona. Mm-hmm. Andy Dawson also threw two interceptions. So those four turnovers led to 24 Arizona points. Also, let me throw in, Kyler Murray had 74 rush yards as well, and he also had a rushing touchdown. So, you know, he had he had a, he had a, a nice game on, you know, through the air and on the ground, he had three total touchdowns. But his passing efficiency was not, was not there. And, you know, if he's struggling like that to throw the ball, more times than not, Arizona's not going to win games, too many games like mm-hmm. that. But they were playing the Cowboys, so of course exactly. they were going to <laughs> win. And it could have been five turnovers because Jordan Hicks flat out dropped the interception early in the game too. So it could have been mm-hmm. five turnovers. Uh, one thing, you know, I just want to mention, like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Demarcus Lawrence is practically stealing money from the Dallas Cowboys. He's getting paid $21 million, and he only has six sacks in the last 22 games. Ridiculous. And that's completely and utterly ridiculous. I, I, you know, I don't know what's going on. He may be hurt. I, if he is, he hasn't been really showing up on the injury report. I, it's, it's simply – I simply don't understand what's going on. Uh, I think the coach, the coach, the coaching decision to hi, even hire Mike McCarthy, I thought that was a bad decision from the jump. And McCarthy hired Mike Nolan. It seemed like, you know, that was more of a doing him a favor. Mike Nolan ain't coached in years. And the last time we did and the last time we did see him be a defensive coordinator, his defense is one of the worst defenses in the league. So that should tell you why he didn't have a job. And like once again, like I've been me I've been talking to Quinn about this for years. I feel like it all boils down to Jerry Jones. I blame, I honestly blame Jerry Jones for all of the Cowboys' decisions. Because, you know, he wants all the praise for the wins 
And, you know, no owner, no other owner does that. I think he – I honestly feel like he's one of the worst owners in the league, if you, if I want to be completely honest with you. No, nah, he is. Because he doesn't want to hire a coach that's going to challenge him. And mm-hmm. that's the problem. And like I said, I've said it repeatedly, until he, until he lets go, relinquishes control of the team, they're never going to win the Super Bowl. And I don't – you know, I don't even see them going to a conference championship game, to be completely honest with you. Uh, but like I said, mm-hmm. they were pathetic this week. I mean, they played yeah. one the Washington. They play Washington this week, so, I mean, maybe they, they win that game. I'm not even sure. But even with all that, they're still first in the division. So, that shows you just how bad that division is. They sure you is a whole division. Man. But, I mean, with Mike McCarthy just kind of piggybacking off what you said, uh, I agree. And it should tell you something that he was a Super Bowl winning coach, but once he was let go in Green Bay – nobody was ringing his phone line to hire him as a head coach. And I do want to mention his last 37 games with Green Bay, he was 13, 20, and 1. I mean, not 13, I'm sorry. I said 37, I'm sorry. 34 games, he was 13, 20, and 1. So that should tell uh-huh. you something. With, with Aaron Rodgers, at quarterback. So that should tell you something. And the thing with y'all right now, I think with what he's doing, a lot of his methods are pretty, pretty outdated. And so a lot of the players aren't buying in. And so it's not a talent thing with y'all. It's effort. And especially Monday night, uh, there was a lot of effort issues on a lot of plays. You know, he talks about analytics. You know, listen, I don't. I'm, you asked me, I'm the last guy to, to ask about analytics because I actually hate analytics. I've yet to see analytics win the NFL, win a Super Bowl, or NBA championship for that matter. So until they do that, then don't miss me with the analytics crap. I don't care about that. Like, football is football. You know, football is not a numbers game. Football is about inches. It's about attention to detail. It's about discipline. And it's about heart. That's all it's about, not the numbers. So, uh, but for my second takeaway, listen. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers might be the first team to to play in the Super Bowl in their own building. They they hey, thrashed, I don't disagree with the they thrashed the Green Bay Packers thirty eight to ten. Uh, Green Bay started out hot, you know, it was up ten zero early in the first quarter. Then it happened, and Rodgers threw a pick six. Then the very next possession, threw another interception that led to a touchdown. And they pretty much harassed Aaron Rodgers the entirety of the rest of that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they scored 28 points. Uh, Tampa Bay scored 28 points in the second quarter alone. Like I said, it was just – it was – that game was, was hard to watch after the first quarter. Uh, they had five sacks, forced five three and outs, and forced seven punts in total. Uh, Grant, outside of the 80-yard touchdown drive and their 54-yard field goal in the first quarter, the Packers never had a drive longer than 23 yards. And if you see, I mean, just think about it, you know, Tom Brady wasn't the greatest. He only had 166 pass yards, but he did what he had to do. You know, he didn't have to, yeah. he didn't have, he didn't have to with the short fields and the constant points. He didn't have to do much. Ronald Jones looked great again. He also had a hundred yards on the ground at two touchdowns. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if the defense is gonna play like that, you not you don't need Tom Brady to sit to look for three hundred yards a game. Like you just don't. And the the two linebackers for Tampa Bay, Devin White and Levante David, they showed out. They came, they they played like some men possessed. Uh, combined, they had eighteen tackles, two and a half sacks, and five and a half tackles for a loss. Like that's 
those are monster games by your two linebackers, and they're two of the fastest, most violent linebackers in the league, and they played like that Sunday. So Tampa Bay, you know, is definitely a team to look out for. Like, I would not be surprised if they played the Super Bowl, you know, hosted. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they hosted the Super Bowl and they were there. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that's kind of one of Tom Brady's goals, the reason why he did go there. Uh, But I'm going to kind of join in, too, because it was one of my points, so I don't want to repeat everything you said. But uh, one of my takeaways was, at least up to this point in the season, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the best defense in the NFL. I mean, if you look at them – uh, you already talked about how lights out they play Sunday. I mean, before Sunday, Aaron Rodgers was easily one of the favorites for MVP right now. Um, and everyone was talking about the Packers as arguably the best team in the NFL right now. Um, and you sure couldn't tell it Sunday against the Buccaneers. And, I mean, looking at their defense, you know, they got it started with Carlton Davis on that pick six. Uh, you know, him and Jamel Dean on the exterior, they've been playing well all season uh, and, you know, giving giving valuable production to Todd Bowles in their defense. And you have to give credit to rookie safety Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, of course, his pops played in the NFL for the Vikings, uh, but he's a playmaker. He's a playmaker in that secondary for them also. Uh, and then you mentioned the linebackers. They're easily the best inside linebacker duo in the NFL uh, in Devin White and Levante David. And I think Levante David is getting a lot of the credit he's always deserved because he's always been one of the best middle linebackers in the NFL. Uh, But, you know, being in Tampa on a bad team, you just don't get the respect you really need. Uh, But like you said, they, they play fast. They play violent. Uh, Devin White's still young. He's working on his coverage skills. Uh, but other than that, man, I think you can't ask for any more out of the middle linebacker. Uh, and even looking at their defensive line, uh, you got Shaq Berry rushing off the edge. You got Nadama Kung Su, who's on the inside, uh, and Jason Pierre-Paul, who aren't as young as they used to be, but they can still get after the passer. Uh, and, of course, they lost Vita Vea which is a significant loss because he was playing at an elite level this year. But uh, I think you still have to look at that unit as a top five D-line in the NFL. Uh, But just looking at them on paper and what they've done this year, and, of course, their defensive coordinator, Ty Bowles, dies up a lot of pressure. Uh, So I think that's why you've been able to see Tampa Bay have the success that they've had up to this point this year. Then my second point – I guess I'm going to go with the Steelers. I think even though it was the Browns, I think the Steelers have the formula to make a deep playoff run this year. Uh, Of course, they're 5-0. Looking at them, I think you have to say right now their weaknesses is probably the run game uh, and probably secondary. The secondary isn't as potent as it was last year. but Starting on the offensive side, uh, Big Ben's look good in his return. The chemistry is good with the receivers. Um, Chase Claypool, I'm already a huge fan. He's looking like Megatron 2.0. Of course, Juju Smith-Juster, 
Schuster. Uh, he's a star in his own right. Uh, but going back to Claypool, he's 6'4", 238, runs a 4'4", 40, and has a 40-inch vertical. Like, that's ridiculous. Uh, and then, like I said, their defense, you know, looking at what we did in San Francisco last year and how our defense propelled us to the Super Bowl, we got after the quarterback, and Pittsburgh does that. You know, with T.J. Watt, they got Cam Hayward, uh, and those guys really get after the quarterback up front. And then when you have a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick behind you who can make plays and even put the ball in the end zone, uh, you know, that's that's about as good as it gets as a defense. And then my last point real quick, the 49ers just might be able to save that season. Uh, they looked good against the Rams on Sunday. They got back to running the ball finally. Uh, Kyle Shanahan had a game plan where Jimmy G didn't have to do too much. Uh, he made sure he was comfortable in the pocket, especially with that shaky ankle. We did lose Raheem Mostert to an ankle sprain. So he might miss a few weeks. And that could be big right now because our next few games, get this, are at New England, at Seattle, home against the Packers, at the Saints, at the Rams, and home against the Bills. <laughs> yeah, it's, this is probably worse than the gauntlet we had last year. I think last year we had Seattle, Baltimore, Green Bay and New Orleans. But I mean, four of those games I just said are on the road, and two are against division rivals. Uh, so it's it's about to be tough sledding for us in San Francisco. Uh, but Jason Verrett, he's been balling this year, so I have to give him his props. Uh, but we're about to find out whether or not we get back to the playoffs over these next few weeks. But moving on to our next topic, man. Surprisingly, or maybe not to some people, Tua Tagovailoa was named the starter of the Miami Dolphins for, of course, not this week because they're on the bye week, but the following week they have the Rams. Uh, so, Jimmy, what's your thoughts? Well, first off, you know, I will say I think it was all a part of the plan, like the original plan. I know months ago, uh, I think maybe after the draft, I watched uh, Colin Cowherd's show. And one thing he said was that he predicted exactly what's going to happen. He basically said, you know, they were going to play, they're going to let Fitzpatrick play up until the bye week, and they were going to name two of the starter. And that's exactly what happened. You know, Ron Fitzpatrick hasn't been playing. He's been playing pretty well. They're three and three right now. They're second in the AFC East. He has a Q, he's seventh in the league in QBR, uh, 10 touchdowns, seven interceptions. So he's, He's done about what you expected from Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, he's a bridge quarterback. He's not a long-term starter. Uh, he's hot some games. and some games, he's absolutely terrible. So, I mean, you know, I, I watched uh, Brian Ford. I watched a piece of his interview, and what he said was, he said, we feel like it's the best thing for our team. We feel like through practices, walkthroughs, and meetings, we feel like he's ready. And I know he mentioned before the season started, he's like, he wasn't going to throw two out there because he simply didn't feel like he was ready to start. So, I feel like since Brian Flores made that decision, he feels like two is ready. Now, I mean, of course, he's only only had a tad bit of game action. Um, practice is a lot different, a lot different speed. But if he feels like two is ready, then I can't, you know, I can't argue that. I can't question that. I feel like, you know, if he feel like he's ready, I'm cool with it. Yeah, uh, I initially questioned it, but 
after I did some digging, I think it makes sense. Uh, you know, for one, the week they play the Rams will be a or nearly pretty much a year after Tua had his horrific college injury. It'll be 351 days. Um, and then I did some digging, and I looked back. If you go to the 2004 New York Giants, uh, they were 5-4. and four. And a lot of people don't know this, but Kurt Warner played for the Giants one year. And he started the first nine games, and they were 5-4. and four. But they had a rookie who you may know by the name of Eli Manning, who closed out the year as the starter, and he went 1-6. But over those next four years, the Giants made the playoffs, including two NFC East titles and a Super Bowl. So it has been proven that this formula can work. So it's not entirely far-fetched. And then uh, an unknown player, undisclosed player told ESPN uh, that since two has been practicing, he makes at least one or two wild plays a week uh, at practice. So I definitely think he he's, he's ready for it. You know, he's healthy. They trust the hip. Uh, I am concerned. Of course, two is a left-handed quarterback, which means the right side is his blind side. And the Dolphins have two rookies on that side. And if you remember in college, he had issues with getting the ball out and taking big hits. Uh, so I'm hoping that's something he's worked on and gotten adjusted for the league. Uh, and hopefully he can be successful. Uh, but moving on to our next, our next segment, this is something Jimmy, uh, he introduced an idea he had. Uh, so I'm going to let you introduce it real quick. Well, often in sports, you know, it's all, and all, we all know guys that that don't really get their just due, don't really get enough credit. And, you know, one thing I've, I've heard a lot among, you know, former athletes is giving players their roles. That's why they're still alive. So, you know, I thought about it and I decided to, you know, I talked to Quinn and we decided to name this segment the Give Him His Roses segment. This is going to be a weekly thing from here on out. And so, you know, we both gonna name a player, you know, in any sport that we feel like didn't get doesn't deserves to get their roses right now while they're still alive. So for me, I gotta go with Fred Taylor. One of the best players in Jacksonville Jaguar history. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. University of Florida, great. Uh Fred Taylor was six foot one, two hundred twenty-eight pounds. He was a big running back with speed and he was extremely elusive. He had a unique running. He had a unique running style for his size, and I remember him watching him play. You know, in the mid two thousands, he played from ninety eight. Uh, start started off in ninety eight. Played thirteen seasons. Played eleven with Jacksonville and two for New England. And when I say you know he's underrated because guess what? He only had one Pro Bowl, mm. and he only had one all. And he only had one All Pro. And pro I remember he had multiple at least 1,000-yard season. Yes. That, he probably was affected playing at Buffalo. He played – He played. yes, I'm telling you, he had 11,000 yards in 11 seasons with, <laughs> with Jacksonville Jaguars. But, you know, they recognize his greatness. He's in the ring of honor. Uh, you know, he has over 11,695 career rush yards, 66 touchdowns. He also has 290 receptions and uh, 2,300 receiving yards. So, the guy was able to do it, you know, receiving and, and running the ball. And, you know, I was looking at his, his per-game averages, and he only averaged – he averaged less than 17 rushing attempts a game. So, I mean, considering, considering, you know, 
how great he was. He didn't get the ball, you know, as much no. as you – especially as much as other feature backs during that time. Mm. And uh, he still was able to average over four and a half yards of carry. So, that's something, you know, I admired about Fred Taylor's game. And, uh, you know, also, you know, he missed a lot of games too. Uh, he was at, mm. out of a possible 208 games, he only played 153 of them. So, mm. I mean – even if you're looking at him playing, you know, half of the games he missed, you know, you're probably looking at another couple thousand rush yards. And he's, you know, further along in the rushing yards list. So I feel like Fred Taylor is definitely one of those guys that deserves more credit than he got, especially because there was a lot of great running backs there in that the late 90s to 2010 period. You know, you had people like mm-hmm. Clint Portis, you know, Edron James, Jamal Lewis. You had Adrian Peterson, all of those guys. Maurice Jones-Drew, even for a period of time. So there was a lot of great running backs. LaDainian Thompson, I don't know how I forgot him. So, you know, I feel like Fred Taylor is one of those guys that we definitely be giving his roses. I feel like he should be a Hall of Fame, in the Hall of Fame. Hey, I can't I can't disagree with that one. I like that pick. Uh, I actually went with the guy that's still in the NFL. Uh, but I'm going to go with Stephon Diggs. I think my personal opinion, I don't think, Stephon Diggs gets all the props he deserves. I know a lot of people recognize him as arguably the best route runner in the league, but I think it's about time we recognize him as at least a top five receiver in the NFL. Uh, I mean, so far this year, he's balling in Buffalo. Uh, I'm going to go with statistics first. Uh, He's third uh, leading receiver so far in the league. Uh, like I said, he's the best route runner. He's on, already on pace for his third straight 1,000-yard season. It would be five, but he didn't play 16 full games the other two years. Uh, and then I think he's clutch. Of course, you got the Minnesota miracle he had a few years ago. But even looking at this year in the fourth quarter, most of his catches have come in the fourth quarter. And that's also the quarter with his highest yard per catch, which is nearly 20 yards. Uh, and now, like I said, in Buffalo, he runs a more complete route tree. You know, he was always known as a deep threat. But now in Buffalo, he's willing to run over the middle, uh, get his hands dirty, uh, and, you know, do really whatever it takes to win games for them. Uh, so I think I think Stephon Diggs is a guy that should get more respect in the NFL. Moving on to our next topic. Um, did you have something? Oh, no, we good. We good. Okay, okay. Uh, moving on to our next topic, we got college football week seven. Uh, so, Jimmy, what did you see this past week? Uh, first of all, I want to say, you know, for me, Bama, Bama looks like a lot. You can book them for the college football playoff. I think their toughest test was going to be Georgia, and they handled Georgia. You know, early on they were down – but they were able to, you know, they were able to, you know, take control and, win, and ultimately win their game by 17. Uh, the defense, uh, you know, they gave up a lot. They gave up over 400 yards once again. Uh, but they did force three turnovers. Uh, you know, Georgia was under 50% on third down. And, you know, the offense looked absolutely amazing. 560 total yards, you know, 33 minutes time possession. They won, they won the time possession battle and the turnover battle. battle. So when you do that, a lot of times you you know more than likely you're going to win the game. And they were better on third down, third down efficiency. They were better too. Uh, so you know when you can do those things, typically you're going to win games, especially with an offense like what Alabama has. 
uh, that held Stetson Bennett to under 50% completion percentage, which was, you know, considering, you know, how, how poor, how, how poor their defense had been. That's, that was great. They played a great game. Mac Jones, once again, was phenomenal. Over 400 passing yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Had a QBR of almost 98. Najee Harris looked dominant again, had 150 rush yards. Over the last two games, Quinn, check this out. Najee Harris has 358 yards and six touchdowns over the last two games. So that man is what we call – he's doing what we told him to – he really told him to peel is what, what we call it. Told him, he really told him to rock, man. Like, he's really balling out. Classic Bama running back. Uh, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell balling out once again. They combined for 17 catches for 328 yards and three touchdowns. There, there are no cornerbacks in college football in the country that can cover those guys. So let's just keep, let's just be real here. So you know they, those guys are first round locks basically. I mean, let's, let's call it what it is. And I think Bama is, like I said, I think Bama is going to be on a collision course uh, with Clemson, which is part of my second takeaway. Uh, Clemson is, like I said, is basically a lock for the college football playoff. Listen, the AC planning that cupcake, cupcake league. Come on now. The ACC hasn't been tough in I don't know how long. I mean, you know. At you least North a Ca- decade or two. I mean, you got North Carolina that's playing well. They got the number five team in the country. You got Notre Dame that's playing pretty well this year. But they can't beat Clemson. I mean, mm-hmm. unless they get lucky or something like that, they're not going to beat Clemson. Trevor Lawrence, you know, they're touting him as the best quarterback prospect maybe ever and the best one especially since Andrew Luck back in 2012. He had 400 yards and five touchdowns in the first half of that game. And guess what the score was, Quinn? At the end of the wasn't game, wasn't it like seventy-three to seven? It was seventy-three to seven, bro. <laughs> Dude, in the defense, that shouldn't the defense, even. <laughs> come on, dog. How? Like how? <laughs> and the defense look. The defense looked even better. They only gave up two hundred two total yards. Uh, Georgia Tech was two of fourteen on third down. They had three turnovers. You know, <laughs> Georgia Tech's highly touted freshman quarterback Jeff Sims. Had 81 pass yards and he had a QBR of under 10. So that defense was that defense was flying everywhere. They had no room to operate. They were getting suffocated. They got they got the shackles put on them. <laughs> so you know those those two on collision courses. Yeah, no lies there. Man, I agree with you on that. Uh, Bama is looking legit. Uh, but, you know, talking about the SEC, the other team in the state of Alabama, Auburn, this this isn't their year, man, uh, which, of course, they had already looked bad really the first few weeks. But this week they lost to South Carolina. Uh, of course, Bo Nix, he was highly recruited. Everyone thought he was going to take the next step this year. He's still making freshman mistakes looking like he's struggling to read defenses. Uh, he threw two first-half interceptions. And, I mean, both times South Carolina cashed in with touchdowns. Uh, and, I mean, even as a team, Auburn's just playing undisciplined and sloppy. Uh, Bo Nix had three interceptions altogether. They also had nine penalties as a unit. And, I mean, when you do that and you're shooting yourself in the foot, uh, you just won't win games plain and simple. And you know that's what did it because offensively, Auburn outgained South Carolina 481 yards to 297. 
and they still lost. <laughs> uh, and my next point, sticking with the SEC, uh, it seems like, which is I got to attribute a guy follow on Twitter. Uh, I saw him post this, but it seems like nobody wants to be the fifth best team in the SEC. If you look at it, you got Bama. You know who they are and what they bring to the table. You look at Florida, you know who they are, what they bring to the table. Same with Georgia, and I mean, even Texas A&M. But after that in the SEC, I mean, it's a mess. You got Kentucky. Uh, they can't seem to put it together. Uh, I mean, easily Kentucky's a few plays away from possibly being undefeated. I mean, they lost to Ole Miss by one, and you have to play with a guy showboated on the touchdown. Uh, that easily could have changed things. And, you know, he fumbled. And then the game against Auburn, they had special teams plays that cost them that game. Uh, and then looking at Auburn, I just talked about them. They're easily a few plays away from being winless. They should have lost to Kentucky, and they should have lost to Arkansas. I mean, just plain and simple, they played pathetic this year. Uh, Tennessee can't get out of its own way. South Carolina can't close out games. Uh, Arkansas, they're no longer a pushover, uh, but no one's taking Arkansas as a serious threat to anybody. Uh, and, I mean, I don't even have to get into the rest of the teams in the SEC. They're just all a mess. I mean, Vandy, Mizzou, Ole Miss, even Mississippi State, Mike Leach, uh, his his time in the SEC is going to be very, very short-lived. Uh so, like I said, usually the SEC top to bottom is talented, but it seems like everything's real top heavy right now. Uh, but moving on to our last topic of discussion, the Big Ten, of course, will be returning to action this weekend, Jimmy. So, what are your thoughts and what are some, what's something you're looking for? I'm looking forward to, first of all, I'm glad the Big Ten, you know, reversed course and decided to play. Of course, it's not going to be perfect. There are going to be positive tests. There are probably going to be some canceled games last minute. But, you know, that's what comes with COVID uh, this year. Uh, but I'm, ex I'm excited to see Ohio State. Year yes, in and year. Year in and year out. They're one of the five best, four or five best teams in the country. And they're typically going to always, ever since the college football playoffs started, they've typically competed. Uh, and I think in all but one tournament, I believe. Yep, that's right. Uh, so, I'm excited to see, you know, I'm just excited to see some more football, add more football and, you know, see Ohio State. Yep. You know me. I'm excited. We got Nebraska this weekend. Uh, I will say conference as a whole, I think it's still a three-team race with, of course, Ohio State's the favorite. Uh, but it's a three-team race between Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin. And, of course, we always run the Wisconsin in the conference championship game. Uh, but for Ohio State this year, I think our biggest question mark uh, has to be who's going to replace J.K. Dobbins' production at running back. Uh, don't get me wrong, Justin Fields is supremely talented, uh, probably the most talented quarterback, uh, just talent-wise, arm talent-wise, that we've had come through Ohio State ever. Uh, but J.K. Dobbins was our second leading rusher in history. Uh, and at times last year when Justin struggled to get things going, uh, I mean, we could just hand the ball to J.K. 35, 40 times in the game and let him just pound away at teams. 
Um, and looking at it, FPI has us as the best team in the country with the best offense and the fifth best defense. And y'all go stop sleeping on our offense. We got Justin Fields, who should be Heisman favorite, by the way. We got Chris Olave, who's going to put his hat, his hat in the ring as top receiver in the nation this year. We got Garrett Wilson holding down the slot, who's going to break out this year. Our slot is always our most used receiver, so definitely keep an eye out for Garrett Wilson. And do then don't forget – huh? I do want to add something. Y'all running back, Master T, Master T, y'all running back, he's from Murfreesboro. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Running backs. We got the best name running back group in the country. We got Trey Sermon. We got Master T. And we got Steel Chambers. <laughs> and they all, they all at least like 225, 230. So they some big dudes. But, like I said, you didn't even let me get to the five-star receivers. I guess you just got tired of me talking about all the riches we got. But I understand you're an SDC fan, so you don't like to see that. But keep an eye out for Ohio State this year because we, we need our redemption from last year. But you got anything else you want to add, bro? Uh, no. Nah, bro. Thank y'all. just want to say thank y'all for continuing to support us, like I said. Uh, we appreciate y'all. Yes, sir. Oh, one last thing I forgot to add. I think the Cowboys should trade Michael Gallup. I think y'all need to admit y'all are in rebuild mode and trade some of the pieces on that roster. I think we should get never rid of Mike McCarthy. I honestly think like, I feel like we never should have. We should have traded Amari. I should like feel like we should have traded Amari Cooper. Well, we shouldn't have gave him that big of a contract. I'm not in the market. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a huge mistake. And now because of that, y'all need to trade Michael Gallup because I think he's only under contract this year and next year, and y'all going to have to pay him too. I would rather pay him than paying Mark Cooper $100 million. But it, like, it's already happened. And you got C.D. Lamb too, who you just spent the first-round pick on. So, I mean, if you trade Michael Gallup, too, that's freeing up targets for C.D. Lamb. I mean, you can stop saying y'all because I'm no longer a Cowboys fan. I'm a Titans fan <laughs> as of Sunday. So. Oh, that's right. We got a Titans fan out here now. As of, as of Sunday, I'm a Titans fan. Tighten I, up. I already been accepted to the fan club. They, they welcome me with open arms. You coming in with a big game against the Steelers this weekend. Hey, Tighten up. King Henry. Uh, Tana, Ryan Tanner Thrill, you know, AJ Brown, AJ Brown, my guy, Janu Smith. I was rooting for him before the season started. Maybe, you know. the, maybe the Titans should trade for Michael Gallup. Mm. I mean, Michael Gallup and AJ Brown, because Corey Davis ain't been. <laughs> it's true. That would be a nice combo. Uh, but I got and look. He a big, big physical deep threat. He fit what they like to do. Dude, when I tell you, he makes some incredible catches, dog. Like he cold. That's why I'm telling you. Like y'all gonna every, have to pay that man, and y'all ain't gonna be able to. <laughs> I feel like you know he has concentration drops at times, which Amari mm -hmm. Cooper does too. But Michael Gallup, though, at least once every couple games, he gonna make a couple plays that you like. Well, oh wow, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I like to see, if not the Titans trade for him, somebody like either Chicago to go with Allen Robinson or Baltimore get them some receiver help for Lamar. Yeah, they definitely need it. I think they're going to get Julio, though. Please don't. Julio coming to San Francisco to reunite with Shanahan. Dude, y'all got like 900 receivers on the roster. Relax. <laughs> and they all injured. <laughs> exactly. We're like, y'all don't need Julio. Y'all be okay. Let that man Let that man go play with Lamar. You know Julio just my favorite receiver. I just wanted to get a ring is what I want. Let, let that man go with Lamar and, and jump in with big trust. Well, if that'll get them past the Chiefs, I'm all for it. It might, cause uh, you know, with with uh, Hollywood as a number one and Willie Sneed as a number two, that is not gonna get it done. Nope, that's what I'm telling you. And you know, every year the contenders is always a big trade for a receiver. Oh, and did you see too? After his suspensions over, the Seahawks are pushing to get Antonio Brown. Trifling. <laughs> they do not. They but do hey. not let him go. Let him. Let him go to uh Miami with uh Tua. Stop it. Hometown. Ab wouldn't. Ab wouldn't know how to act if he played on the team in his hometown. That's the last yeah. thing he need. Hometown kid, man. Let him. Let him play with Tua. Tua need. You know he got Devontae Parker, but nah. hey. get him with Russell Wilson. Keep keep somebody in his ear. Keep him out of trouble. He don't need a young quarterback. He need a vet that's gonna keep him in line. I want Antonio Brown to go somewhere where he's gonna be a gonna be the deep number one option. I don't need him sharing targets with nobody. This Antonio Brown we're talking about here. Well, if he even if he does, he still don't need a young quarterback, especially a rookie quarterback. I guess it's just fantasy anyway. <laughs> For sure. But hey, good show, bro. Like we said, we appreciate everybody uh for continuing to support us. Continue to follow us on Facebook. You can join our group, follow our Twitter page, our Instagram page. Uh, our podcast is available pretty much everywhere that you, uh, you know, check for podcasts. So check us out. Uh, and like, once again, I'm Quentin Douglas. <laughs> and I'm Jimmy Cook. Thank y'all. Yes, sir. Thank y'all. And that'll do it. Peace.